the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is the bitter with the sweet and the sweet with the sour. It is all things opposite, yet all things together. The bruised while being blessed. Next on Truth For Today. I can't tell you how many times I've ran across somebody who thinks simply because they are under a trial or being persecuted or bruised, that they're under the wrath of God and the displeasure of God. Yet Scripture gives us the exact opposite more often than not, especially if we are, in fact, brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what 2 Corinthians is all about. And that's where we catch up with Pastor Phil Howard as we begin a series simply entitled Bruised While Blessed out of 2 Corinthians. Join us, won't you? God's purpose for our pressure is the title of today's message. Here's Pastor Phil. We're going to begin the book of 2 Corinthians today. I've wrestled with this book for some time. It's the most difficult New Testament epistle that Paul wrote. It's the most autobiographical. At points, it's harsh. At points, it's sarcastic. Uh, it is, uh, let's say, the first seven chapters primarily are concerned with him describing his past ministry among them and the fact that he's become a new covenant minister and begs them to be reconciled to God. Great themes. Chapter 8 and 9, he gives us the most thorough New Testament teaching on giving uh, we have in the whole Bible that... Uh, Really, if you want to understand church giving principles, primarily they're found in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, maybe the happy chapters. By the time you get to chapters 10 through 13, it gets rather harsh because this is what's going on in the church. Paul founded this church in Acts 18, and uh, he's among them. And by the time he writes 2 Corinthians, this is his fourth letter to them. He'd written them one letter. Uh, to deal with an immoral brother. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that. After that, he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. Then, another letter, a severe letter, described in chapter 2 of Corinthians here, uh, rebuking them for some of their behavior. And then we come to 2 Corinthians. So we've got two books that were, or two letters that were never published to us, not scripture, they are off the scene. Two epistles that God carried over for the church. And this is what's going on in that church. At one time, a brethren had come, most likely from Jerusalem, Judaizers, uh, undoing Paul's ministry, always uh, at his heels like barking dogs. They were there, and they begin this campaign. Paul is a false apostle. Paul is not the true blood. And they pointed out his weakness. They pointed out his suffering. And because Corinth was a health and wealth prosperity uh, city. 
It was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. They had a lot of money there. To be called a Corinthian girl was to be called a prostitute. Very immoral. A lot of traffic going through. A lot of wealth. And a lot of, a lot of religion. I mean, they had gods everywhere. There were not, wasn't an atheist in the place. But religion to them had to make you wealthy, prosperous, healthy. It had to give temporal benefits. None of them wanted a religion that messed with their life. They didn't want religion for moral reformation. It was just like, uh, I go to first church so I could make business deals and look like I'm a, a religious man. But it was health, wealth. They loved ecstatics. While it was an immoral church, when it had all those problems, here he is writing. And now we've got this Paul that's been beaten, shipwrecked, suffers, shares personal. It's the most personal insight you'll ever get to a, an apostle and a servant of God. More pastors probably have fled to Second Corinthians for comfort as any other book. Because it tells you, you can be God's man and suffer from the people of God you're trying to help. Because he writes them and he finally gets the majority of them to repent in their attitude toward him. But a stubborn minority keep holding out. And he takes them on in chapters 10 through 13. And it gets brutal. It gets brutal. He is taking them on. They say, you're a coward, Paul. You're ugly. You're a small little Jewish man that you write bold letters, but you're a coward in person. And he says, you think so? I'm coming back and we'll see who's a coward. I am not afraid of you. And he just lays it down. So you're going to come to sections that some of you that only come to church to feel good, you may not want to be there during those chapters. Because he's going to show you the gut-wrenching experience that he went through at that time. But today, we're going to look at chapter 1, 1 through 11, and look at God's purpose for our pressures. And let's look at it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. 
Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Here Paul says three things to us. He wants us, first of all, to know who he is, who the Corinthians are, and who is his God. Two, he's going to give us two divine reasons why God permits pressure, trials, and tests in the life of his children. The reasons for our divine pressure. Let's just look at it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. It's quite interesting. In other epistles, he starts out and he says, Paul, a servant. But here he says, Paul, an apostle. Because that was the thing being questioned. You see, if you want to reject a man's message and you can find no fault with it, maybe you could disparage his person. If we could discredit the messenger, the message must be false. That was the attack. They hated the gospel that said you're declared right before God apart from the Mosaic law, apart from works, good deeds. You are made right with God through Christ alone. And they hated the message, so they went after the messenger. He's false, he's not true, and we're going to tell you what his faults are. What's scary is the message is far better than all of its messengers. I can have all kinds of idiosyncrasies that drive you batty. It doesn't keep the truth that I preach from being true. And if you don't want the truth, you could say, it surely couldn't produce a messenger like that. Don't blame it on the truth. They're just messed up. Or they just got those idiosyncrasies. You know, some people were born depressed. Some people have a negative personality. They were born with indigestion and they were born with negative person. I mean, it's the makeup. I'm not picking on that. There are just some people have quirks in them you can't help. I, I remember a man that used to preach that had such effeminate characteristics that I had other preachers make fun of him, as it were. They said, one man said, what he needs to do is buy an old car and fix up a clunker and learn to get some grease on himself. Because he was raised by a mother without a father and he truly had effeminate characteristics but he was one of the most profound preachers of the group he was powerfully used of God his message like no power he just didn't look like an Oregonian logger now look what he says here I'm an apostle I'm writing to a people that are called the church of God called out ones that are located in Corinth. Tells you there's not just one universal church. I believe in the one body of the church, but I never go to a local church. Something's wrong. God's universal church has geographical meeting places. And so he was talking to this group, the church that was a scary church. But he calls them with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. 
Were the members of the Corinthian church saints? He said they were. He said in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he said, you are saints and you've been sanctified, past tense. Now, when I read about the Corinthian church, I want to say it looks like a full, a church full of ain'ts, not saints. How would you like to pastor a church uh, that they still visit prostitutes? That don't mess with them in the parking lot or else they'll sue you. Uh, they're split up into four parties in the church. There's four different cliques. One meets around Apollos. One meets around Paul. One meets around Cephas. And oh boy, the Holy One meets around Jesus. And they can't stand each other. And the four cliques in that church. They're a little questionable about the gospel. They're in cliques. They're immoral. They're suing each other. Uh, I mean, it was a dangerous church to belong to. And yet they're called saints. How could that be? Because if you're in Christ, you've been once for all set apart. Now God spends the rest of your life teaching you to act like who you are. He makes you a son. Now he teaches you how to act like one. And sometimes we don't act very saintly. I have to say this. I read C.J. Mahaney lately on a book on humility. And he said something profound. He's quoting another writer who said, Seldom do you ever hear God's people complimented, even by fellow Christians. Think that through. He said, Seldom do you ever hear church saints complimented. Do you ever say anything good about the saints? Do you ever say anything about the most difficult person in the church? Well, by George, they're a saint. I just feel like calling you a saint. You act so wonderful. The saints don't always act like saints. But they're saints anyway. And we need to start calling each other what God calls us. I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was going to seminary and I first started this church, uh, we had just disciplined a guy out of the church on Sunday night for living in adultery with a gal. And he was a thief. And he was openly proven to be that. So we just dealt with it, just starting the church. And, oh man, we're dealing with this, we're dealing with that. And uh, I'm in a seminary class with a bunch of young bloods that are going to be theologians and they're going to be pastors. And uh, I'm going through this. I'm not telling anybody. No one knows what's going on in our church because I was always offbeat anyway. With Pentecostal roots, you can't be anything but wacko. And uh, so uh, we were in there and all of a sudden these guys started spouting off. And they said, well, if, if we preached the word, we wouldn't have these problems. We're just not teaching the word. After I took enough of it, none of them were pastoring. They were idealists. I said, well, I guess Paul didn't preach the word at Corinth. I guess he just didn't preach the word. Surely Paul wouldn't claim that church. He did. He did. I've seen people do the same, come around the valley, and they think they're really helping me out. So they're saying, Boy, your people aren't real deep in the word, are they? No, most have been pretty deep in sin. And they're learning how to act like saints. And it's a long process. Some of them still fighting addictions. Some still fighting old habits. Old habits of thinking. Old habits of behaving. Old relationships. They're in process. And some days they're a wreck. But they're still saints. 
Saint, you ought to amen yourself. You're still a saint, you wreck. Still a saint. So he tells them who they are. You're saints. I want you to act like it. Do this. Then he goes on and says, let me tell you who your God is. And he begins. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father or the source of mercies and the God of all comfort. Mercies was the most common word to describe Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. And mercy was the capacity to feel another's hurt. To pity someone suffering from any aspect of sin, pain, uh, injustice. To feel pity. Christ felt pity for the leper. Felt pity on the multitude that were starving and needed to be fed. He was always feeling Pity. He's showing mercy on those suffering. And here Paul is saying, God is the source or the father of all mercies. You know the reason some of you are still alive? Do you remember some of those nights when you were partying? You should have never come home alive. Some of those nights on the road, some of those road trips, you should have never made the curve. On that swimming incident, you should have drowned, but you did Why didn't you? The God of all mercy kept you alive long enough to save you. He had mercy on you. He had mercy when you didn't know him. Mercy. And he's the God of all comfort. And this word comfort is a word meant to call alongside of a person for the purpose of encouragement, to give aid, to advocate for them. And so Jesus said, when I go away, I will send another comforter to come to my people. And here he's saying, God is the source of all comfort. Besides, he put the spirit in his people. And the same word is used, we put Christ in the third heaven. And when we translate it advocate, the word is comforter. I've got a comforter or an advocate in the third heaven that when I am overcome by sin, primarily when I'm being accused before God, I have someone that stands up, takes my case, and addresses my case to the Father as though he were my lawyer and said, I died for this man. There's no justice going to get him. I paid already. That's your advocate. That's your comforter. So God is the source of all mercy. He's the God of all comfort. And what does he do? What does he do with his people? Who is our God? Watch what it says here. Who comforts us in all our affliction. And the word affliction there is the word for pressure. It literally meant to put a weight upon. To to press down. To heavy. Uh, They used it in torture. They would put weights on people's chests so the chest would cave in. Uh, Pressure, pressure. And he says, he looks on us and he comforts God's people in the midst of their pressures. And especially is this the testimony of Paul. And he's going to tell them, biblical algebra in suffering goes this way. God's comfort, your pressures, others' comfort. 
And Paul is going to say this. All the comfort I bring you Corinthians, I got it from God. And God channeled it through me so I could give it to you. So I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf. I rejoice in my weakness on your behalf. If I wasn't such a case, if I didn't have so many weaknesses, temptations, and feel so overwhelmed with the thorn in my flesh, God would not pour his comfort in me. But he did. And guess what? It's that comfort I've been passing on to you. Number one reason why God allows pressure. He gives it right here in verse 4. Look at it. Number one reason. He says it. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may not comfort anybody. So that we don't show mercy. I can't hear you. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts me in my problems. Paul is saying, his own testimony, that it will enable me to comfort you in your problems. God allows you to have the pressures and problems you do because he wants to teach you by comforting you. He wants to teach you to become a comforter. The church ought to be full of comforters. And I'm not talking about a quilt. It is a sin to come to these premises on Sunday in worship and say a discouraging word. Many a church hymn ought to be written where seldom is heard an encouraging word. Home, home in my local church. To dwell above with saints we love, well that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well that's another story. Have you learned, have you learned to become a comforter? You first have to have been comforted. God's the source. And he pours it in this saint of God. Going through the pressure. I began to think of. uh, Comforters. For years my sister was my. uh, Administrative assistant. And Donna was in the office. During those years. Many of those years. Joined. And eventually my sister retired. Donna became my personal secretary and they both were wonderful encouragers they were wonderful comforters Uh, but but it was really I was struck by the people they comforted here Hazel was a a single woman never married uh, the oldest of us surviving children the matriarch of our family strong didn't like to work with women give me the men I could handle them Uh, You know, that kind of a, uh, and I asked her why she never got married. She said, well, I never found a man strong enough to leave me. And I came back, well, you'd have to marry Patton. And uh, uh, a strong woman, a strong Christian servant. And I noticed the Christian workers would come to see her, it seemed like, uh, discouraged. She was my personal exhorter, comforter all the years of my ministry. Uh, I mean, she held up my hands more than anybody in this church. None, none of you come close. My sister. My sister. Because she could infuse courage in you when you were beat up. And she could tell you, stand. 
Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. God will deliver you. God will keep his... I mean, boy, if you thought about throwing in the top... Whoa! No, no, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to... You stand. You don't give it... All right, all right. (laughs) I mean... Very strong. Very... And so workers would come in. And Hazer be they went through Kleenex like you wouldn't believe. They'd weep and cry. People struggling with the class, struggling with this. It seemed to be so many people involved in some aspect of church where God hurt, got offended. Uh, it's not going good in their assignment. And, and all that, she seemed to be especially used of God to comfort those people. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today. Now, we have a couple of ways to do so. The easiest might be simply visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org. You can drop us an email. We have other means of contact that you'll find there at truthfortodayradio.org. We also have a lot of resource materials available for your growth and relationship with Christ. Our design and desire is to see that you grow in Christ, grow according to His knowledge and grace. Any way we can help, well, that's why we're here. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call, 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. Please bear in mind as you contact us that this is a listener-supported ministry. As you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. Prayerfully consider how you might get involved in the ministry of Truth For Today, won't you? 855-833-9864 or write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And that website, once again, truthfortodayradio.org. It is a pleasure spending time with you in God's Word. We trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.